Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we got Freddy. Always coming at Spoopy. Always and forever. Also known as Night Night. David still ain't here, but that's okay. I don't Where think he I, I mean, he, he's taking he's a break. Yeah. He's taking a break, which is completely understandable, and that's good. He needs to take a break. He does. Um, for sure. Um, so, David, you are missed, but rest in R.I.P. We are still a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. Okay. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with the post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. The episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, before we actually jump into what we even are talking about right now for our Attack of the Sequels month, super stoked for this month, by the way. This month has been a blast. We had Candyman 2021 on uh, this bad boy. We had Halloween 2018. Now the Exorcist 3. Oh, yeah. But before we talk about the Exorcist 3, I do want to mention something, a quick little preface for everyone. We're, we're technically recording this in December, but we just found out that Spotify officially allows people to rate our show. So if you are a, a Spotify listener, rate our show. Give Please us some, some feedback. Allow us to get five stars if you feel like you need it to. But we definitely want to hear your feedback and see your feedback and allow us to kind of grow on Spotify a little bit more as well, which is great. So by all means, rate the show on Spotify. We definitely would honestly love to read them. Um, I think the last I checked, it was at 15 and they opened it up two days ago. So that's great. Everybody's already still doing a really fucking great job. I'm not a premium member on Spotify, so I can't check. Um, but all premium members can actually rate the show, which I think is a bunch of malarkey, but whatever. Um, but keeping things going for this Attack of the Sequel month. Because, God damn, we had some bangers on this goddamn list. Yes, we We're did. We're keeping the banging going, dog. <laughs> with... The Exorcist 3, first and foremost. Ready? Thoughts? This is your oh, first wow. time. This is uh, my first time watch. Um, obviously, I've seen the original. Of I have not seen The Exorcist 2. So <laughs> you don't need to. Yeah, and I, I've, <laughs> I've been told that by a few people, but I was you like, oh, am to. I going to miss anything out? Not really. No, not this, at all. This kind of forgets Exorcist right. 2 altogether. It feels like a direct sequel from the original, which works out perfectly. Yes. Um, which is I, why this is in this, movie, this month. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of weird... Emotions about this movie. Emotions. Well, like, yeah, the experience was very odd because at first I was like, what am I watching? I am so confused. There's a lot of moving parts that make no sense to me at all. I was like, does this mean I missed out on a lot of stuff from Exorcist 2? Oh, sure. Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, But there's like a lot of sequences where I'm like, what? What's going on? Where is this leading to? Mm -hmm. And then by the end of the movie, I was like, wow, did I watch the best movie ever? Maybe. And I was like, all right, let me sleep on it. I slept on it. I was like, okay, I think I really enjoyed this movie. I was like, <laughs> there's a lot of sequences in here where it actually has really hardcore tension. And some of the acting monologues that we see like in the, the cell and stuff like that, I was like, man, that's really fucking great. And that's really good. Brad Dorif is terrifying. Like, like <laughs> it, it, this is one of my favorite roles of him. And he originally plays Chucky in Child's Play. But this is, this is where I 
am familiar with Brad Dura from because I feel like this is where his gusto as an actor right. really flourishes in this movie for me. And I was like, there's some great sequences, great acting, but at the same time, there are some bad sequences. Oh, and yeah, bad definitely, acting. Definitely corny spots like, for sure in this movie. There, there's a lot of parts in this movie where it's like people are just yelling. I'm like, why are you so angry? Like, I'm so confused. Like, people yeah. don't act this way. But at the same time, I, I appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> It's like the nurse was yelling, he was yelling. I was like, everyone's just yelling when randomly. She, when she was yelling, he was calm. And then when he when right. she wasn't yelling, he was yelling. He, he was like out of pocket several times. I'm like, I like that about you, dude. So, this is it, a very different movie than I've ever seen. It's and, so interesting. What, what was his name yeah. again? Jo- uh, yeah, George C. Scott. Yeah, as Kinderman. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's a, a character. character. <laughs> yep. um, definitely a character for sure. But my overall thoughts, I think I really, I think. I know that I like this movie a lot. I awesome. think I really enjoyed it. I think it was quite the ride. This movie slaps hard and it's really funny and really great and it intense. Is so funny. Yeah. It is surprisingly funny. <laughs> like it, it's it's one of those it's an odd movie. It's definitely it definitely is. Um and it's not like funny as in like they're constantly hitting punchline jokes. It's literally sarcasm. Yeah. Like every joke is sarcasm, but it's so funny. Uh, but for me, I adore this movie. Yeah, I love The Exorcist Three. I I think it is. A, all right, this is a bit of a hot take, everybody. But I would much rather watch The Exorcist Three five million times over than The Exorcist. Yeah, I would say it's a more entertaining movie. The Exorcist is a better movie. I agree, but this one has the rewatchability. It's like, yeah, I could put this on at any moment. Yes. But The Exorcist, you have to be in some sort of mood to be. Well, you, you on that know, journey, it it all depends because Exorcist feels like two different movies, right? Like you you right. you have that first initial sequence where she's in the hospital trying to figure out, like, okay, is this a mental illness or is this <laughs> actual supernatural right. spiritual shit? Um, but I I do like that this is like William Peter Blatty's baby right here, like you know, mm-hmm. Will William Peter Blatty is the writer of The Exorcist with William Friedkin. Um, so, like, to me, that's quite amazing to see that he, like, came on this to direct this. Yeah. And it it it's great to see, like, what, I guess, what happened to Damien Karras after The Exorcist. Because um, we assume he's dead at the end. Sorry, spoilers for The Exorcist. But um, <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen it. Um, but it's it's something that I truly feel like this movie, personally, for me, is a lot more fun and like, yes, movie-wise, The Exorcist is a better movie, but I still think this movie is just better. Yeah. Like, for it's me, fun. for me, like, this is just a better movie for me. This is exactly what I want. Um, and it knows what it's doing. Like, to me, it just, it knows exactly what it is. It knows that it's bonkers, and it knows that it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I that's accept okay. that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I think that's completely fine for what this movie's trying to do. Yeah. Like, Maybe, like, Evil Dead 2 vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like it, it okay. knows what it's doing. Exactly, like, like yeah. it knows and understands the subject that they're trying to portray, and that's <laughs> great to me. And I, I think, The Exorcist Three is just fucking fantastic. Obviously, yeah. But let's go ahead and just jump straight up into this. The Exorcist Three, directed by William Peter Blatty, released August seventeenth of nineteen ninety. A runtime of one hour and forty nine minutes, with a budget of eleven million dollars and a box office of forty four million dollars, which actually kind of surprised me. It's pretty good. I was like, that's a lot of people that watched this movie in the nineties. Nineteen ninety two. A rating of fifty nine percent 
on Rotten Tomatoes. We open to a river in Georgetown, 1990, where a group of men are rowing. A quick cut to a priest, Father Dyer, walking down the street past the rowers, heaping the boat. Hip, 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 hip. Right. It was like, this is a weird intro already. It's like, what is going on? It, it's. I love the fact that like it looks like Father Dyer's checking them out. Like when oh, they when, yeah, when he like that, turns yeah. around, it's like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> y'all got some cheeks. He, he stops looking down the flight of stairs, reminiscing that awful night. A man in a suit named Kinderman sits down um, some papers and rubs his eyes, grabbing a photo of him and Damien, calling out to him. Damien! <laughs> Damien. Uh this is great. And the reason why I like this is because both of them have a relationship with Damien Karras. And I and I think that was supposed to be the established here, right. um, that they both were really good friends with Damien, um, and I like that. I, I like I like that that aspect of all of this, and this just really makes me feel. I don't know. It makes me feel that connected to them as well, because like Damien isn't a very is a very important part of the Exorcist. Yes, so huge, like, a very important part of the Exorcist. So I mean. It makes sense for them to have kind of this connection with them. Cut to an amazing keys for the um the uh, Exorcist theme song right here. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah. Like very the, nostalgic, the, exactly. And like I I fucking wish I could have seen this <laughs> in theaters because there there's two things that I wish I could see in theaters for the first time during the time that it was supposed to be shown. This one, The Exorcist. I 100% wish I could be there for The Exorcist. Also Jaws. Um, But The Exorcist and this. Like, I really wish I could have just been there in 1990, August 17th, fucking middle seat in theaters, (laughs) bushy-tailed, just ready to watch this movie because those keys... When it comes on, you just get chills down your spine of how you feel with The Exorcist. Immediately, too. It's so great. It's so great. As we get shots of an ominous Georgetown, inside a church, blood has spilled on top of a rose. We continue flashing around as the statues, at the statues, a deep, booming, demonic voice calls out, Preacher! The doors open, start shooting open. I don't like the demon voices that happen at random in this movie, though. Like I'm it's not true. the biggest fan of those and how no one else hears them. It seems like they're it's just for the viewer. audience. Yeah. Um it's like this is a exorcist movie. Always remember. Right. That. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, I got I you. I feel like if this was made in like modern times, uh they wouldn't have this. They wouldn't have the demonic voices as much, I feel like. Um probably towards the end um but yeah wind bursting quickly throughout the room so intense even the statue of jesus had to wake up from it (laughs) so this is uh, i'm like what is this movie this is like this is like a bunch of sequences like great (laughs) a lot of scenes are like stitched together i'm like where's the connection where's this going i love that jesus waking up that's fucking fantastic he's like (gasps) Yeah, the eyes are like shocked. Like he's shocked. Like, what's going down? He's like, I feel some evil presence. Oh my god! The falling down, the falling down the stairs is great. The POV of it, the camera. Yeah, that's great. I really like that. Um, I I really like that that reoccurring moment that you feel with uh, uh, Damien. Yeah, like it, it reminds me of of that. Like, and and I love that. I love that this movie was definitely made for like fans of the exorcist mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I think that's really enjoyable in so many years after right i mean what is that 15 years 1977 to 1990 
15. 15. Um, Heavy breathing creeps down the sidewalk as a man runs across the street and a boy stands in a corner staring at whoever is breathing heavily. POV of the person continuing down the sidewalk, the running um, the other direction. The boy now standing at the end of the sidewalk. The man speaks that he has uh, dreams of a rose of end of falling down a long flight of steps. POV of them tumbling down the stairs, cutting to three helicopters flying over the water. One going a different direction. Why are you laughing, Freddie? What happened? Because I was like, why are these helicopters being in the shot now? Like, I was so confused. I was like, yeah. you know, this opening sequence got me messed up. It, it is confusing, and I can understand the confusion for sure, because, like, there is no context of, like, oh, shit, they're looking for body. Right. Like until later know, on, it's like right. it all makes sense. I was like, "Is this a Vietnam movie? What's going on here?" Sure, because of the shots, like the three helicopters right behind is the sun. And it's a great shot, but I'm like, "It is a great shot." Why am I watching this shot? Yeah, it it, so it looks like Rambo or Platoon yeah, or some like, shit like that. There's a lot sure. of shots about the water. Like, <laughs> right, I see the crew members. I see a bunch of boats now. Like, where does this go? I feel sad. And then it made sense. I was like. Okay. Father Dyer practices his sermons as the helicopters continue their search. Cops are searching around the river area. A woman cr- is crying over the shoulder of a cop as Kitterman looks in, um, looks into a tarp. And I I like this, but like, God damn, the, bl- the black kid had to die off screen. <laughs> like, yeah. Damn. Cool. The altar boy Feldman is is speaking with Dyer, asking how he did how he did on his theology quiz. Dyer jokes that he should change his name, reciting that reciting what he wrote back to him. Feldman chuckles that everything is relative as they put put away their things for the church. He is about to leave out, mentioning that he has to drive to Philly. He asks about Dyer Dyer's prayer to Damien in his prayer for the dead. Dyer doesn't want to talk about it, but Feldman continues po- uh, pestering with questions about Damien being uh, the one who. Fell down those fifteen those stairs fifteen years ago. I do like that as well that they kept the years um, accurate. Yeah, accurate and chronological. Yeah. I thought that was really nice. Um, he tells Feldman to get lost, and he does so. Dyer remembering that the night that Damien jumped out of the window and fell down the flight of the stairs. Cut to Dyer speaking with the university president, asking what Dyer said to offend Tom Lowry, adding that he's the biggest benefactor. Dyer answers that he said, "quote Jesus loves you, and everyone else thinks you're an asshole." End quote. Father Dyer, fantastic character here. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. He's really, really great. Controls the room very well. Extremely well. Like he he is he is a very interesting character that I I I truly have a sense of um seeing on screen. Like I I love seeing him on screen. Because it's it's really nice to see. He captures the whole entire scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. And right now we're watching this as well. We're watching this on on Tubi right now. Um, which is interesting um, because Tubi has a very interesting thing I would like to point out. They have a 30 second seek where you can go oh, 30 yeah. seconds forward and 30 seconds back. Fast. Usually 15 is the standard. Yep. <laughs> so it's like we're, we're all jumping around on our scenes here like crazy, but uh, we're, we're getting to the point. Um, it's also one thing that I do want to point out as well that I thought was really in- intriguing, always intriguing to me. The people serving the food in this scene, like, did you notice that the guys like have to walk behind each other? Oh no, I've, it's yeah. so sexual. And I was like, this movie's <laughs> this movie's awesome. <laughs> it's so sexual. An old man greets them uh, as he slowly walks by, commenting about his back aches. Dyer wonders if they if they have uh, to have their own Olympics. The president ignores the question, asking about his plans for the day. He swiftly answers that he's watching Wonderful Life this afternoon, adding that he's seen he's seen it 37 times. 
this is one of the reasons why I kind of consider this movie a Christmas movie. That's fair. I mean, just because they bring that movie up. Yeah, it's yeah. a Wonderful Life. I mean, hey, thirty-seven times. Thirty-seven times. Damn. And they bring it up more than that in this movie too. So it's just yeah. like, let's go. He he commends Dyer. Dyer asking if um, he has a favorite movie. The president comments, "The Fly." Great fuck pick. Yeah. Still haven't seen it. Oh shit! You haven't Please seen The Fly. Don't be mean to me, guys. I'm sorry. Oh fuck! I'll be I will. It's on, it's, on, <laughs> it's on my list. You need to watch the fly. I know. Asking if he's going alone, Dyer is taking Bill Kinderman with him. The president clarifies that, um, if he's talking about the cop. He is, knowing that every year he gets depressed and he tries to cheer him up. And it's it's so funny that he says that because that's the reason why Kinderman hangs out with Dyer. Right. It's like tradition to like be there for him. Be there like for each other. Right. After so long, too. Right. Great. Because, like, you know, they were both friends with Damien. It establishes their relationship. Yeah. But they care for each other. Absolutely. Especially around this time, around Damien's death. Yes. Um, Which, yeah, definitely sad. Um, Kinderman is in the office yelling at his colleagues, Ryan and Stedman, about a case using Macbeth as a metaphor, um, commenting that it is a play about the uh, the numbering of the moral sense. Looking at Stedman, sharing that he told Ryan that he he would have nothing to to go on uh, through with this case. Ryan saying, quote, win some, lose some, end quote. He calls Ryan racist. Uh, Ryan seems ashamed as he looks away. Kitterman um, continues bashing on Ryan even further about about mixing rabies with rabbis. Ooh. <laughs> he asked Stedman uh, what the murder weapon was. Stedman isn't sure, but he guesses garden shears. I love that shears are just like a constant thing. Yeah, yeah it's terrifying movie. too. What a, a fucking fantastic weapon. murder weapon. Right. <laughs> oh my god. Kitterman sarcastically jokes that he uh, that they are abandoned and he's um, signaling being uh, signaling beings on Mars. He grabs his coat, asking if Sergeant Atkins is enjoying himself. Atkins smiles and nods. Kinderman uh, wants him to uh, to Lex uh, Richmond urgently for the file on the Gemini killer. Ryan speaks up that he's been dead for 15 years. Kinderman reminding him that he's not speaking with him, asking Stedman about the autopsy. He promises tomorrow. Kinderman tells him to go home to their families. <laughs> Real quick on Atkins, though. What the fuck is up with my man's perm? <laughs> bro got a slick back hair it's gorgeous <laughs> he is 90s to the max like he is like for sure black 90s that's amazing I remember my brother got a perm that shit was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> it burns your hair and shit it's fantastic you know, it might be coming back uh, I hope not oh my god <laughs> Kittering goes home greeting his wife Mary um, and her mom I forgot her mom's name, but her mom was so fucking funny. Yeah. Definitely jokes that don't hold up to this day because they're racist as shit. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Asking about the, uh, their tour in Virginia, Mary shares the offensive things her mom said while eating at, at a diner. Um, she asks she asks about his day. He starts sharing his shitty day sarcastically and in a chipper tone. She asks if he's okay as their daughter Julie comes into the kitchen. He nods as Julie greets him and says her goodbyes to head to uh, dance class. Mary asks her husband if he's home now. Kinnerman shares that he has to leave to cheer up Dyer. And that's where we get the context of like, oh, he's cheering up Dyer. Dyer's trying to cheer up him. This is great. They're cheering up mm-hmm. each other. Cuts a dire smoking a cigarette as he looks um, antsy down the street. Kinderman comes speeding down with his sirens blaring, parking right in front <laughs> of the movie theater for, for Dyer. 
This is great. Nice. <laughs> he asked Dyer what he's what he's doing out there. Dyer pointing out at his wrist, a kinderman joking with him. They head inside, Dyer claiming that he's been standing outside for a while, joking about four new popes have been elected by the time he's gotten there. I love their relationship. Yeah. It's great. Kinderman apologizes for being late, but Dyer is waiting for concessions. Kinderman mentions that they've um, that they'll be late for the, their movie, but Dyer has um, have to have his lemon drops, sharing a brief story that started his addiction to them. Transition to everyone getting in, getting out of the movie. Kinderman thinking that Dyer has has to leave to attend uh, to religious work. He doesn't. He doesn't suggesting Kinderman uh, to go home and rest. He claims um, that he can't go home because of because of the carp. Sharing that Mary's mother is visiting and she's lo- she's cooking a carp. He claims that he doesn't uh, have anything against it, but it's supposedly filled with impurities so she buys it alive continuing that it's been swimming in his bathtub for three days Ew. and then this was another part of the movie i was like why is this uh, a thing in here but okay i'll take it i love the randomness of this movie it is random yeah it is random to absolute shit but it's great yeah and I think it's just more to establish what, their relationship. Yeah, it's what makes the movie charismatic as well. It's like, cool, it's charming. There's, there's nothing like this movie. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely makes this movie very charming as well. Like it, it in in some ways timeless. Like it, it's like this. I mean, like their relationship. Because like their relationship is something that we just see. I guess time and time again in movies. Yeah. Like the buddy cops and all and sidekicks and things like that. Like we see that constantly in movies. And I feel like this movie just flows so well with it. Yeah. That's so. true. Dyer chuckles as Kinderman continues his hatred about the carp. Since they are standing so close together, Kinderman shares that he hasn't had a bath for three days and he, <laughs> he can't go home because he will he will uh kill it. It's funny. This is just, it's so comical. Kinderman and Dyer are eating at a restaurant. Do you notice fucking Larry King in this restaurant? Did you notice no. that? Larry King's just sitting there fucking having a conversation as Larry King just does. There he is right there. Larry fucking King. Rest in peace. Oh, whoa. Okay, that's wild. Because I know you pointed some other character out on Twitter before I, I saw this movie too. I was like, okay, I'm going to be looking out for that too. Yeah. There's some nice little cameos in this movie. The cameos are ridiculous in this movie. This it's a fantastic. Marvel movie? What is this? Bro, Fabio's in this movie. Oh, wow. Fucking Fabio. He's an angel in this movie. <laughs> and that he makes is. Yes. I, I was like, he looks familiar. It's like, Fabio. That dude's dude. too good looking to be in this movie, but I know who he is somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes like, sense. Like, when I first saw this movie, I was like, why is Fabio? Again, I was like, this is the most random scene. What am I looking at? But I'm down for it's it. Great. Yeah. Who that is? I don't know who that looked like. I mean, but That's it, cool. it's, it, the, yeah, it, it's great. It's fantastic, just the, the cameos that are in this movie. Kinderman blames God for the state of the world, calling it homo- calling it a homicide victim, and the invention of death is a lousy idea. Dyer comments that, uh, about him blaming God, telling him that he wouldn't want to live forever. Kinderman claims that he would, Dyer knowing that he would get bored. But he has hobbies. Sharing that the world has cancer and murderers, monsters prowling the planet. Adding that... Th- adding that they are prowling this neighborhood and their children suffer, loved ones dying. He bashes God for not doing anything. Dyer claims um, that it all works out right at the end of time, adding that they will be that they will be there, living forever, commenting that they're spirits. Kinderman isn't buying it, Dyer knowing that this is about the kid um, that was killed on the dock. He asks if he would like to talk about it, knowing that Kinderman knew, knew him. He tells Dyer that he, he knew... He tells Dyer that he knew him a little bit, but um, that he was part of the police boys club. <laughs> they have those. <laughs> and his name was Thomas Kentry. 
And I, I like the details here that now like you're, you're starting to kind of see the pattern, but you're not really, you don't understand what the pattern is just yet. Right. Continuing the, uh, the details that he was, he was a black, uh, 12 year old boy and the killer drove an ingot into each of his eyes, um, and then cut his head off. You know what an ingot is? Is that like a big nail? I'm assuming it's a, like a bar of gold. Oh, yeah. 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 Dude, that's dark. Yeah. Into his eyes. It's fucking nuts. Jesus Christ. Dyer is in shock and in absolute disbelief. A waitress with a, uh, with (laughs) a waitress with the best VO work ever asked about their food. Is your food okay? (laughs) She came out of nowhere. (laughs) He shoes her away. The waitress asking Kinderman if he would like more coffee. He shakes his, um, he shakes his head. Continuing, um, that in place of Thomas's head was a head of a statue of Christ. And I love that we see that statue of Christ missing its head right. later. How fucked up is that? It's, it's a cool like way to have in the script a visual effect. Yes. Yeah, it's like, damn, okay. I and see I, how brutal that would sound. And I like looked. how you can't really piece it two to two together because it's so early yeah. of when we get this announcement that his face was switched. Right. Um, but now I know why Jesus' face looked shocked. He was about to get his head chopped off. <laughs> <laughs> he knew it was about to go down. He's like, <gasps> He's like oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they done up his face in blackface, the eyes and mouth painted white, calling him Mr. Bones, adding that Thomas was crucified on a pair of rowing oars. Cuts with church bells ringing as two women, one elderly, and uh, walk towards the church inside a priest is giving confession to an old woman she claims to have a, a sculpturous conscience and her need to confess so many things her her room filled with darkness the priest reminding her that christ forgives all of all of their sins she suggests she suggests that she has 17 little things the first being a waitress at candlestick park which kind of shocked me because Candlestick Park, we have a Candlestick Park in yeah. San Francisco. <laughs> she, cu- I actually used to live by there. <laughs> yeah. She cut her throat and watched her bleed. The priest is shocked as he turns his head toward the darkness. The woman laughs maniacally. The room filled with screaming and sobbing. The old woman is leaving out of the church looking back, blood spilling from the concession booth. Wow. This is a really great scene. This is fucking it's fantastic. terrifying. And it this caught me off guard because of everything that's happened before. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is confusing. This is weird. Oh my God. What is happening? That is cool. This is great. I love the way her voice sounds. I love how the action sequence went down as well where they don't show anything. But at the same time, you, you, you know, feel the dread. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the explanations are more scarier than me than the visuals. That's true too. Yeah. Like when they explain what happens, they're just like, fuck. Like that's why we didn't see it. Yeah. That to me is so much more terrifying this role yeah than actually seeing it the investigation team are working on the scene grabbing evidence and taking pictures kinnerman walks to the to the body of the priest who was who has a tarp over them commenting that the blood stain is new i thought that was interesting ryan comes up to him asking if if they need to gather prints from inside the panel where the priest sat Kinderman tells him that they do ryan not sure on the point kinnerman arguing that he's panning the job uh, and this is the part that you're talking about. Like, why is he yelling <laughs> <laughs> so randomly? Ryan goes Ew. to gather the uh, the prints. He moves the tarp slightly, exposing the priest's bloody hand, his index finger cut off, placing it on the on the 
Placing it back and closing the tarp, he goes around to the other side, checking but still intact, motioning over the coroners to take him to uh, take him in. Now, night inside the church, wood is being slid um, around the confessional. Uh, Kinderman is sliding it back and forth, trying to get a sense. He leans back and closes his eyes. The wood's sliding open. Atkins on the other side, mentioning that they, they have an autopsy on Thomas. He shares that he didn't die from decapitation. He was injected with a drug used to uh, used in electric therapy. I couldn't say the name of the drug. I'm not going yeah, to even, even try to it. pronounce it, yeah. so... I would help you if I could, but no. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate (laughs) you. Uh, But the drug causes immediate and total paralysis when injected with 10 milliliters in for every 50 pounds. Atkins is getting upset as he continues that Thomas couldn't move or scream as he was getting nailed and cut up. Fuck. Dude. Very intense. Very intense. Like, and the fact that Kinderman finds out like he was conscious yeah. when he died. Like that's terrifying too to hear. <laughs> it's not uh, a for, fun way. Like Jesus Christ, and he was twelve year old. He this was a twelve year old boy. Life. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Kinderman questions if he if he was conscious. Atkins answers that he was fully aware, explaining that the drug attacks the nervous system, and he died from slow um, asphyxiation. Inside a hospital, Kinderman is looking across the, across the nurses for Dyer. They share that he's in room four one one, and he heads and he, uh, he heads to him. Super interesting with the nun, like because like it was kind of hard because you can't tell if she was blind. Okay, yeah, like I it, see that. It, it was super interesting, but um, anyway, I don't know. There's something I, I kind of peeped. Dyer is reading the the newspaper. Kinderman comes inside with a stuffed penguin. Both of them making jokes toward each other. Dyer commenting that they are um, that there is nothing wrong with him while accepting the penguin. He begins to cough. Kinderman wondering what's wrong with what's wrong with him. Dyer claims that he had his brother um, um, that he had his brother Eddie um, had the same symptoms for years. Kinderman uh, reminds him that Eddie died at thirty. Dyer thinking um, that doesn't matter since he was killed in Vietnam. Kinderman asks if he uh, <laughs> if he is sure that this isn't serious. Dyer is about to bring up Eddie again, Kinderman telling him to shut up about him. <laughs> he continues um, that with him, uh, it was his nerves. Kinderman shouting that he um, he makes everyone nervous. Dyer calmly responding only sinners. Kinderman yelling again that everybody... <laughs> Nurse Blaine is standing in the, uh, standing at the door asking if everything is okay in there. Kinderman yells that they're fine. She leaves out of the room. He looks back at Dyer, excusing that he's just tired. And I love like how Dyer's look. He's just like, you good, bro? Like, <laughs> right, why are you he's like, why are you yelling at everybody right now? Why are you yelling at me? Like, so what did I do to you? Like, this shit's hilarious. I, I love, I love Dyer in there. Yeah. They're, they're, they're dynamic. They're, characters. they're literally characters. Oh, in this so screen. great. Yeah. Her, um, he hands Dyer a burger. Telling him to eat half, and I love how he's like, "What happened to the other half?" Like <laughs> another nurse like, yelling out the door, stuff. asking who stuck this guy. Um, Dyer jokes about it being peaceful while pulling out a cigarette. Kitterman commenting that those will kill him. Dyer shrugs that they're quiet. Nurse Keaton, uh, Keating, Keaton, Keaton, Keating. I don't know. Nurse Keaton um, comes into the room with a tray calling out for Mr. Horowitz. He tells her no. She checks the number of the room uh, for 409. 
He answers with his his room number. She leaves out of the room, Kinnerman asking if he should be reading from the gospel or something. Dara jokes that um the, jokes about the lack of fashion inside the gospel, asking for Kinnerman to get him something else to read. He has to leave. Dyer asking for a new newspaper, claiming that the ones um he has are all from last week, read and he's already read all of them. Kinnerman claims that this has given him a headache and he has to leave. Dyer and Kinnerman continue the, their sarcasm as um Kinnerman sh- leaves out of the room. He he calls for the elevator, a statue of Jesus missing his head right behind him. That exact same statue that was probably replaced right. with uh, Thomas's body. This is great. This I love that moment of where it kind of reminds you again, like, this is a horror movie right. kind of thing. Um, kind of. Kind of, right. <laughs> no, yes, it is. It is. Right. I, 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 I don't know. I like it. I really, I, I like it. I like... Because, like, to me, it is cheesy, yeah. this part here. Um, but self-aware. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Extremely self-aware. Like, even with, like, the zoom in of the camera on the statue with the missing of the head and things like that. So, it's just everything about it just um, reeks with nostalgia for That's me. That's true. Yeah. Like, like this, this is... This a, feels like an early 90s, late 80s movie. Right. Yeah. And, and it feels like a great culmination of uh, Supernatural and Slasher. Which I feel like is really hard to pull off. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Cut to Stedman um, talking about his how Father um, Canavan was killed, his vocal cords being paralyzed, so he couldn't make a sound, so the killer was able to take the, uh, take their time. Kinderman asked if uh, it was the same drug as before. It was. Excuse me. But precisely the proper dose to cause paralysis. Too little has no effect. Too much has instant death. They know that this killer has medical experience. Kinderman asking if they found a syringe at the scene. Ryan shakes his head. Kinderman asking about the fingerprints. Ryan answers that most of the fingerprints were the priest, but they got something else. He goes up to the panel, mentioning that nobody touches it but the priest. Kinderman adding that the killer ex- um uh, and the killer explaining that the killer wants to wants the panel closed so the next person doesn't know that Canavan is dead, putting his hand in to close it slightly. Close the rest of the other and close the rest of the other side. He asks if the prints uh, on the oar match the one on the panel. Stedman stares at him silent, silently, putting on his shades. They don't answer him. Ryan shaking his head no. Kinnerman confused on two different people committing these murders. So great. Yeah, this is that continues. mystery aspect yep. where you're just like, yo, what the fuck? Yeah, like what's happening? Yep. What is going on with these people? Like Thomas, like, and it seems like there's no correlation. Like you're mm. like Thomas is a little black twelve year old kid, and then you have this white priest, right? And like when I first watched it, I was like, "Ooh, was was maybe this priest touching this kid?" Like, and like he was just felt like they were both sinners. Like what? Like what happened? So I don't know. Like I love the theorizing that you can craft from this movie, right. though. Especially if you go in blind, not yeah. knowing what the real connection really is. Right. And you yeah. went in pretty blind. Oh, I didn't know anything about this movie. <laughs> really? And have oh, you, yeah. Did you even know there was a third one? Um. Yes. Okay. But I would say I probably found out about the third one this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's because I saw The reason. Exorcist for the first time this year. Yeah. I know, guys, but I watched it. I knocked it out. <laughs> and I loved it. Great movie. It is great. Um, 
Yeah, I had no clue going into this movie at all, nor did I want to. I just wanted to go completely blind, no trailer, no nothing. Just had did you post your did you post your watch on Twitter? Yeah, I was like now watching this. Yeah. Okay. Anybody anybody comment anything interesting? Like uh, everyone's like, Oh, this is a ride, this is a fun one, this okay. movie slaps, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sick. I fucking love our community. You know what yeah, I'm saying? <laughs> Shout out to the ghoulish nights. So y'all are fucking so fucking much. great. I love yeah, y'all so much. No idea how powerful you guys are in my life absolutely absolutely oh and also everybody be on the lookout i I forgot to mention this at the top of the episode um but be on the lookout inside of the actual descriptions of this episode that we have a discord now so we have a discord server they're gonna be it's all available you can invite yourself i guess by clicking on the link inside the server or inside the uh actual description of this episode so by all means, join our server, communicate with us, talk to us. We're in there quite faithfully, so uh, oh, I guess that's an interesting wordage. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're in there quite often. But yeah, anyway, back to our original programming. Camera facing the, the outside of the house, Kenderman speaking with his wife before bed. He wonders where his daughter is. Mary comments that she's at dance class. He's surprised that she's still there. She comments that um, it is only 10, but that's still late. They are asleep. A music box plays um, on his nightstand, or a music box is music box is playing on his nightstand. Then drops with a pearl rosary, transitioning to a dream sequence inside a cathedral where an announcer gathers the attention about the departure to Ellsberg. And I love like the sign with therapy border Earth reconstruct elsewhere intensive. Like I, I love all of that right there. A woman is upset as she yells at an angel. A group of people awaiting their fate for the afterlife um, as they wait around. Kitterman walks through the middle of all these people doing um, doing the last thing they've done before they died. And the imagery here is absolutely amazing. Like you got it's Fabio really staring out. Um, and things like that. So, like, when, when Fabio's like looking at him in the camera and shit, I was it's like, like, damn, you just got a nice great. shot of Fabio. And that's that's it. true. His hair was blowing too. Yeah. Oh, was it? <laughs> I think so. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was blowing. Samuel L. Jackson. He's yeah, like, that's right. And I saw him. I was like, oh, that's funny. That's <laughs> yeah. Cool. A woman calls for, uh, for Earth into a radio. Blind Samuel L. Jackson accompanies her cries with the living being deaf. <laughs> and it's not him. Like, it's a VO. For sure. Yeah. Like it's not Samuel Jackson actually talking. But when I noticed it this time, I paused it because I was like trying to take notes and I looked back. I was like, is that Samuel Jackson? How did I not know this? <laughs> Thomas calls out to Kinderman, his neck stitched. Kinderman apologizes for him being murdered in a ch- in a chipper tone, adding that he's missed him. Thomas uh, reciprocates the same sentiment. He looks back over at the band playing and an angel is placing out uh, tarot cards for Dyer. They read, quote, judgment, the emperor, the world, end quote. Kinderman wondering um, if they are both dreaming this. Dyer responding that he's not dreaming. The angel staring at him. The band plays louder. The whole room becoming more and more frantic. Excuse me. Uh, Dyer um, flopping back and forth in his bed like uh, Reagan McNeil. (laughs) pretty wild dude this is great the sequences are like oh god there's uh jesus with his eyes opening up again there's a bunch of syringes i'm like what is this movie this I love is it. this is nuts like when all of this is like going down and when father dyer is like flopping back and forth just like um and that's atkins right there i believe but just like um it's reagan you like, already see his neck nuts. cut off oh uh, yeah it's stitched fucking up awesome. together so it's like what's to come yeah, this is great. Like the the that shit right there though blows my mind because like that is a b- 
beautiful callback to The Exorcist. Yeah. Like, that is literally what happened to Rankin. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. Cut to day. Kinderman's phone is ringing. He answers, he answers asking what, uh, what they are telling him. Inside the hospital, Kinderman is walking toward, toward the room, Atkins somberly dropping the phone as he passes. The room falls to whispers as cops move out of his way toward Dyer's room. Sedman lifts the tarp of Ryan, commenting that he's never seen anything like this in 20 years. Um, Ryan tells him to call it. They notice Kinderman at the door, the doctor going up to him, not saying a word and walking away. They continue taking pictures of him in his surroundings, Stedman tapping him to stop as Kinderman approaches the foot of, the, foot of his bed. He moves to the side, moving aside the tarp, nodding his head moving to the other side and doing the same motion holding back tears as he lifts uh, the area around his head disgusted by the sight and um, putting the tarp back over him we all we see all of Dyer's belongings as it rains outside Kinderman sees a tray of dark liquid he asks what they are Ryan and Stedman are both silent he asks again they tell him that it is Dyer's entire blood supply Jesus fucking Christ. so insane He's that whole concept alone is like, whoa, that's random. But it is. I'm digging it because that's very creative of like how someone dies. Like, how? It's nuts. Like, when they even explain it, though. Yeah. Like, when they. Not exp- one drop spilled. Right. Nothing on the canisters. Itself. That shit. And, and like, like, I was like, damn, that's kind of cool. That's like, fucking nuts. Like, it, it's so incredible how they explain this yeah. shit. It, it's just. Uh, and that's once again that's Brad Dourif just being right. fucking amazing and at this point of the movie I'm like okay I'm in this is just like a wild awesome. movie I'm down yeah, yeah. I, see I love the way you think Freddie yeah. I love the way you think he's confused Stedman commenting that um, this is all neat and not a not a drop spilled only the writing in, in, is in his blood Kinnerman mm. questions questions him uh, Stedman tells him um, tells him on the wall it is covered up for evidence Kinnerman removes it it um, removes it, the movie title, but slightly different. It's a wonderful life. life Two written L's. in his blood. Two L's. So interesting. I, I love the fact that we get context on this later. Kinderman is sitting in the hallway, frozen in thought. Atkins and another cop come up to him, but he's silent for a moment. He instructs him to take a sequel... Uh, to take a squad of men, uh, make sure make sure the hospital doors are locked, wanting them to make a pattern search. No one in or out, except for emergencies. The cop is about to get started, but he stops him to uh, reiterate. Atkins st- um, still with him. He he asks, uh, "What time was the body discovered?" He comments at at six. Kinderman asking by whom. Kinderman is speaking with the nurse who saw Dyer at five at five a.m. She did. Um, she did. Uh, she did. He asked if Dyer was awake. He uh, he was. She she came in to give him his meds. He he asked how long did um, did that take her. She claims about a minute, and she came back to uh, to the desk. She went back to see Dyer at six. He questions if she is she was at the desk or in in the office. She was inside the office writing up reports. He wonders if anyone who have entered the room she wouldn't she wouldn't have possibly seen them. She deems that to be correct. He comments he uh, he gets confirmation that she didn't see anyone but Mrs. Clelia in the hallway. I think that's how you say her name. Clelia, Celia, sounds about right. Clelia, Clelia, I don't know. C L E L I A. I'm gonna call her Clelia (laughs) or Clelia. Um, Kinderman begins to get a a bit more irate with her. She calmly uh, continues that she uh, found found unconscious. She was found unconscious um, on her way to give Dyer his last medication. He confirms that um, uh, Celia is a neurology patient. 
In the neurology room, many patients are sitting around moaning and blankly staring out. One man in a wheelchair flashes one of the nurses, and she's like, oh, fuck. God damn it, Frank. Like, <laughs> like it's just, it's so funny how this poor woman is just like, this is a constant occurrence for her. And she's like, fuck me. I hate my job. Right. <laughs> Dr. Temple tells Kinderman that they're all harmless, explaining um, what some of them have. Well, a woman comes up and grabs Kinderman by the arm, shaking him. She asks if he is her son. He claims that he would be proud to be so. I like this. I like that side of Kinderman to see that, like, he does have a, a heart. Yeah, with random outbursts. Right. You know, I, exactly. Like, even though he has, like, kind of this this uh i guess persona yeah i feel like him. every character in this movie has like a random limit and then like once the limit gets exceeded they start yelling i was like oh okay. that's true yeah and then they're completely normal yeah that yeah that's like, fair oh, that's cool she knows that it is her uh she knows that he is not her son leaving the both of them a deep demonic growl is heard from across the room the doctor points to um uh salia whatever the fuck her name is, See. humming to herself uh, and uh, staring at nothing. He goes up to her, introducing himself and asking her to help him. Um, she asks about her radio and if he's going to fix it. Mm. She complains that nothing gets fixed around here. He plays He plays along, claiming uh, to be the repairman, asking what's wrong with her radio. She tells him that the dead people are talking, saying that it is it is right there, asking if he sees it. There's nothing in her hand. But he continues to play along, commenting that he sees it, her tone untrusting, comments that he um, that she knew he wasn't a, a radio repairman, claiming that she's holding a telephone. He looks at the empty space. She tells, she tells him um, that it is all right and a lot of people wouldn't know the difference. She touches his face, mo- uh, mentioning that he has a kind face, concluding that he will do well. She... <sighs> I love that. She goes back to staring blankly and humming. Dr. Temple is walking with Kinderman down the hall. He mentions that Kinderman caught um, Celia on a talkative day. Kinderman thinks he's being funny, but he assures him that he hasn't or that he isn't mentioning that uh, she has quasi catatonic, that she's a quasi catatonic. Um, they, they stop by a door. Kinderman asking what, uh, what it is. Temple shares that it is, uh, their, their disturb, their disturbed ward. The nurse opens the door from a shielded control room. They head inside, Temple explaining how to get out of there uh, with the keypad and being confirmed by the nurse. Kinderman wants to look around, moving from door to door, stopping when he's, uh, when someone calls out to him from inside of a room. He goes to take a look inside, a man sitting on his bed looking down. Atkins comes, uh, comes into the hallway, sharing that Dr. F- uh, Friedman has gone ballistic. The conversation begins intangible as we... As we as we see them from inside the room of patient X, they leave out of the area. Patient X speaking to himself, quote, death, be not proud. Though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, thou art not so. Though soonest are best men with thee forest of their bones and souls delivery. But those thou dost thinnest, thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor canst thou kill me, end quote. Man. It's quite the little monologue we got there too. Fantastic! Yeah, it, it delivered so, so well, so well. Yeah. Oh my god! And that section of the hospital is terrifying too. Yeah, it's like so, damn. This is so like cold so, and so isolated, sterile. and yeah, it's so yeah haunting. I love it. Yeah, so good. I love it. Like this, that that monologue specifically is just so miraculous. Yeah. Especially how it's delivered. It's delivered so, uh, it, it's delivered like a sermon. 
you yeah, know, like like something me, we would hear in a Catholic church. It gave me vibes of a little bit of like Midnight Mass. Yeah. But also uh, in the Mouth of Madness in the very like open <laughs> sequence. It's like everything's yeah, like very religious okay. inside the cell and stuff like Hell that. Yeah. And there's some demonic presence and stuff yeah. like that. That's really cool. Shout out to the Mouth of Madness. You know yeah. <laughs> Good movie. He looks up, um, his face shrouded in darkness as he concludes with him mm. saying that he's... Uh, he was only 21 when he died. Cut to Doctor Friedman yelling out about the state that they that they have um that they have the hospital, uh, commenting that this isn't a war zone. His yells becoming muffled when Kinderman watches Dyer get wheeled wheeled out from the hallway. Back inside the the office, Friedman claims to understand that they are uh, trying to prevent f- further tragedy, but he asks them to think. Uh, think of the state of the patients uh, with them being trapped. He's being over-talked by Atkins on the phone requesting fingerprints of the hospital staff. Friedman is furious by this. Kinderman calmly asks if he's heard about the Gemini killer, Temple commenting that he's dead. Kinderman agrees but recalls the stories about his strange M.O. Supposedly, the middle finger on the left hand was severed, always missing. In addition, on the back of the victim, he would carve out a sign of the zodiac, the Gemini symbol. Friedman frustratedly mentions that that was 15 years ago, but Temple wants him to continue. He's about to start yelling at Temple, Kinderman shouting uh, for him to shut his mouth while holding his he- while holding his head. He's like, "Will you shut up?" He reaches his limit. <laughs> he begins to sob, excusing himself as he um, as he c- gets a moment. Before continuing, sharing that MO about the missing finger being on the left hand was false, but on the right and it being the index finger, the sign of the Gemini was carved on the victim's left um, hand palm. Only only Richmond Homicide knew knew that and nobody else. The misinformation um, being fed in order in order to weed out the people who would the people who would say that they were the killer by Richmond. Are they talking about Richmond, Virginia? Mm, they could be quite possibly. The, the, Unless it's the Richmond, VA? California, baby. <laughs> I mean, I doubt, I doubt it. it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. But uh, yeah, um, I, I'm sure it's Richmond, VA. Uh, however, in the, I don't know where Georgetown is. Is that is that also in Virginia, Georgetown, Virginia? Is that Washington? Oh, mm. Okay, Washington D.C. around that area. Yeah. Thank you, Silent Night. I appreciate this, man. You know, yeah, me too. I, I very much appreciate. Everyone it. should follow him on Twitter. He just got on there. Yeah, he did. He's invisible though. Like, oh, he? <laughs> he's invisible. Ooh, not, I love not, the invisibility. That means Silent Night. Silent Night. Silent Night. I want all your tweets to just be dots. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> However, in this case, three decapitations, three victims with their right index finger severed, and the sign of the Gemini on their left palm. Yeah, baby. At GK Silent Night. That's not with a K. Definitely follow that boy. He adds one more thing. The Gemini wrote uh, letters letters to the newspaper bragging that his murders that his murders and he's always doubled his final L's. And the victims' names always starting with K. Like Carl. You couldn't choose a different name. Like all the Carls I know start with C's. Right. But hey. His father, um, his father and famous evangelist who he hated and he wanted wanted to shame. Friedman is confused as why Dyer was a target since um, his name is Joseph Dyer. Kinderman shares that um, Dyer's middle name is Kevin. Goddamn. Mm. Quick cut to patient next in the darkness repeating Kevin. That's so Why good. Do we need that? Later, the, later in the night, Kinderman and Stedman. Well, it just shows that they're connected, right? Right. Like, like the, good night with a 
What? Okay. Uh, but it just it really shows that they are truly connected to everyone. Later in the night, Kitterman and Stedman are speaking with Dr. Bruno about a sharp medical tool. Kitterman holds up the shear-like medical tool. Bruno educated that it is a, it has a spring activated, opening it and it closing on its own. He tries to open it, struggling a bit as he does so. Bruno takes it, showing the ease of opening it as it snaps shut quickly, but he admits that it is it is a little stiff and needs adjusting. He sits back on the table. Kitterman asks about the date labeled uh, May 17th 1990. Bruno answers that it is it is the shipping tag. Kitterman asks if it's new. He it just came in, confirming that it is a replacement. He asks where where the old one is. Cut to a large cathedral or school. I don't know. I assume it's like a cathedral slash school. Um, Kitterman speaking with Father Healy about the case, explaining the details of two priests and a crucified boy, thinking it to be clear on the religious connection, but not sure what it is. He asks about the uh, communalities of uh, Canavan and Dyer, uh, besides being priests. Healy doesn't know. While uh, they are talking, while they are talking, the clock is ticking from the grandfather clock. Stop and, uh, excuse me, while they are talking, the clock ticking from the grandfather clock stops, catching Kinderman's attention. Healy uh, thinks it thinks it could be, have a connection with Reagan McNeil's exorcism, the one that killed Damien. The door creaks open. A woman sobbing from the other room whispers in Latin from the room and uh, whispers from Latin and a paper uh, slightly lifting in, in a tray. Kinderman goes to take a look while Keeley stays behind. I love how Kinderman is the only one who knows what the fuck's happening right now. He's just right, like he connected the dots already. Right. He's just yeah. like, what the fuck? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Something weird is going on here. Another door creaks open by itself. The whispering continuing. He goes out of the door, rattling and rattling, and the lights flickering above as as it casts the stairway with darkness. More ominous whispers as he looks down down the dark hallway. And this is such a beautiful sight right here, though. Yeah, like, there's it, some great it, shots in this movie. Oh, so gorgeous. A statue of a priest maniac- uh, maniacally with a dagger in his hand is behind the wall. Soft moaning is heard throughout the whispers. Kinnerman continues searching for the noise. A woman named Alice runs up behind him, startling him. She apologizes with laughter, handing him a speech for Father Healy, asking him to give it to him. She swiftly runs out of there, asking about the lights before saying her, her goodnight to Healy. The lights fire back on. Kinnerman goes back inside, handing Healy the speech. Healy thanks him, offering him a drink. Kinnerman denies it. Healy pouring, out, pouring one uh, for himself. Kinnaman sits uh, sits on his desk asking if he believes in possession. Healy doesn't care, claiming that he has enough to worry about uh, with kids needing scholarships. He offers to uh, he offers to speak with Paul Morning. Kinnaman um, doesn't know who that who that is. Healy explains that he's uh, their uh, chaplain um, at the hospital and he supposedly performed an exorcism in the Philippines. The story claiming that uh, his hair turned white overnight. I love this context because yeah. Father cool Morning, yeah. like he looks, he looks crazy first and foremost, but his he's stark white, yeah. Like he he like like so much so that like it's almost albino esque, a little bit, yeah. Which maybe you should I don't know, I don't know why they went that route. But maybe it looks like he's more drained from all the stuff that he's done in his past. Well, that, that's the thing. Like, this exorcism was so brutal that right. it turned his hair, hair white. white. Yeah. Um, so it just shows how worn out he has been over the years. Right. Like, and, and you know, doing this for a this while. Is, uh, this isn't in just in this. I believe this is in the exorcism of Emily Rose as well. 
the where, hair turning white. Yeah, like oh. I, I believe, like like oh, there shit. was a, there was a scene in there where there was an exorcism that was happening, and it, his hair turned white. <laughs> Rub on my friend. Uh, Kinderman is, or maybe not the exorcism of Emily Rose. Maybe the Conjuring. I, I don't know. I can't really okay. remember, but it, it, I feel like this was stated in a, another movie, and I feel like it was kind of right. a nod to this. Kinderman is curious um, if that's true, since Healy um, brought exorcisms, um, uh, brought up exorcism. Excuse me. Healy reiterating that um, it it brought uh, he brought it up as a connection, adding that Dyer and Damien were very close and was a friend of the McNeils. Kenevan and um, had Healy's job back then, giving Damien permission to investigate the case. Kenevan wonders about Thomas. Then Healy continues that Damien gave their school of linguistics a tape he wanted them to analyze. It was the voice of Reagan, supposedly possessed, se- um, seeking if it was a language or a bunch of gibberish, looking for proof that Reagan was speaking in a language that she possibly couldn't have known. Kenderman questions if she was. Healy um, tells him no, the tape being in English, but reverse. But the person who figured that out was Thomas's mother. I fucking love the right. connections, It's like more dude. connections. Yeah, I love it. Oh, my God. Now, day, a bird is chirping inside of a makeshift box that has a message from our sponsors. And we're back. That bird is chirping inside of a makeshift boss, but our, ma- our sponsors are no longer inside there. Instead, its wings are taped and it's prevented to fly. Thought that was odd. That's okay. Looking around the room, um, and I believe Father Morning just saved this bird or something. Sure. And yeah. it's just like healing it. Yeah, well, like waiting for it to heal enough. Looking around the room at a pristine made bed, old frame photos of a rosary and a religious statue, Father Morning is sitting at his desk reading the gospel. He stops when he no longer hears the bird chirping, getting um getting to go look at it, pa- um passing a frame passage that says, quote, What we give to the poor is what we take with us when we die. End quote. He checks the box, the bird now dead. He takes the bird out of the box, his crucifix falls to the floor. I, you know, cool fact. I'm such more of a bigger fan of the crucifix falling than the crucifix going upside down. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's just, to me, it feels more intrusive or aggressive. I'd be like, no, nah, it's off the wall. Aggressive, but more, more, more like it would be actual. Okay, that's like, like, I feel like that, that is something that will actually happen where I feel like the upside down cross is totally something that In we face. just made up yeah, yeah. to scare people. Like, I, I feel like that wasn't something that was used Although, that often. I think, I don't remember exactly, I think it's Conjuring 2 that did a really good job because it's like crucif- all the crucifixes rooms. everywhere. Yeah. And then they alter it. It's like, all right, that's a cool effect. But yeah. yeah, I feel like I'm on board with what you're saying, where it's like just falling off. I like, Sounds- yeah, I like the dropping. Like, I, <laughs> I feel like that. It was a spooky scene. It was good. It was great. This yeah. whole scene's fucking nuts because this room gets all dark and shit. <laughs> walking toward it, G- uh, I was going to say Jesus. Uh, walking toward it, uh, Jesus' right eye sheds blood. Morning inspects it, confused as he touches the blood. His room is engulfed in darkness. Wind spilling through the open window. He stares out, not showing any fear. I love that. I love how he's just like, I've been waiting for this moment my whole entire life. He's like, I've seen this, whatever. Yeah, for real. He's just like, shit. He just walks over, puts the cross back up. I've ridden the fires of hell. (laughs) (laughs) So much so my hair has singed white. Cut to Kinderman and Ryan finding a match in fingerprints. Kinderman calling it impossible. He goes to see uh, Celia... Um, She is staring at nothing while Nurse Keaton and Dr. Temple are watching from the corner. He asks if she came came in there when the priest died. She looks at him, remembering him to be the radio man. He agrees, sitting on the bed, uh, 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 asking the question again. 
she doesn't answer him. He asks if she remembers coming in and touching the jars, asking her why and if anyone else um, was in the room with her. She looks at the jars wide-eyed, then back at him commenting about uh, that not being her radio and her, um, hers is newer. Temple is in his office reciting something written down on a paper, his room filled with religious and occultic images. So interesting here. He recites, quote, that man is, um, in the isolation tank, you know, the one, the one you looked in on. End quote. He clears his throat and repeats it, then continuing, quote, the police brought him in 15 years ago. They picked him up wandering the, the CNO canal. End quote. A self-portrait of um is a self-portrait is on his wall above the, above that a sign that reads quote a psycho a psychotic is someone more neurotic than his doctor. Whoopsie poopsie. Nothing happened. What did you drop? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> um, he moves away from the window, uh, repeating his practice words. Um, Kinder, Kinderman uh, knocks on his door. Temple hiding the, t- uh, the paper by his side. He asks Tim- Temple if he had something to tell him. Temple invites him to sit down. He sits across. He sits across from his desk. Temple placing the note on it uh, in his drawer as Kinderman comments about it, the newspapers below as um. Be- below an ashtray filled with cigarettes while lighting another cigarette from his previous from his previous one temple claims that he hasn't had a chance to read them and he uh, keeps them until he um, has a chance wanting to read the science the science articles he puts out the, the other cigarette but it lasts a little too long he then leans back and begins his uh, recitation he claims that he had total amnesia and no id when he got when he got the, uh, there when he got there his condition got worse ending up uh, catatonic he leans over to take take a quick look down um at his note at his note beside the drawer comment uh, continuing that uh Continuing that about six weeks ago, he slowly started started to come come out of it. But then all of a sudden he got violent and they and they've been giving him electroshock therapy. But he says that he's the Gemini uh, killer. Cut to Kinderman moving back from a, from a room in complete shock. Out of the hallway, he tries gaining his composure, ask, asking Temple for the vial that on the man that is inside there. And I love how Temple just looks so pleased. Yeah. Like he's just like. I did good. I sent this man to the Gemini killer. <laughs> I did good. He's gonna die. <laughs> Nurse Allerton sits across from uh, for Ken- from Kinderman to speak about the the man in cell eleven. Uh, he asked for for the stretch. He asked for uh, for to stretch her memory, wondering what he was wearing when he came in, asking if she, he was dressed like a priest. She doesn't understand. He continues asking if there was there was any blood or any lacerations. She comments that uh, that should be on in the file. He slams his hands on the like, table and shouting, "That it's not in the file!" Oh shit! It's like another limit has been reached. Gotcha. Sounds good. This dude is fucking nuts, man. Like it's just like he's so normal, and then he just becomes nuts. Yeah, and I love how Allerton is just like, okay. It works so well though. Like at this point, I'm fully invested. Nothing for me. Yeah, that's true. She's great. I love how stone faced she is, but I also love when she yells. I like how like everyone's okay with the yelling. Like people don't get thrown off by it. Just the nineties, man. Everyone yelled. I mean, my parents yelled at me in the nineties. A lot. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Kitterman is walking in the hall, uh, instructing Atkins that uh, that he wants two officers in every ward, ro- rotating them twenty four hours a day, and uh, and on the disturbed ward, one man inside and another outside the door, needing him to ask uh, the Jesuits in Georgetown for the dental records of Damien Caris, wanting to know if he had uh, a saliva test, hoping that that helps them g- get a positive ID. Atkins asks what for. Kinderman stops, losing his balance and leaning on the wall. He grabs Kinderman, asking if he's all right. He nods that um that uh his head uh, he nods that he nods his head while trying to catch his breath i, I didn't quite i never quite got this part there's a lot of parts in this movie that i didn't quite get but i'm okay with it i assume it's just like just a lot yeah the fact that he's just like oh fuck my friend yeah you know and i'm in shock i, I haven't he's, yeah. he's been dead for 15 years and turns out my friend's been fucking locked in here yeah so Interesting. Kinderman continues that Damien was a Jesuit psychiatrist at Georgetown University, calling him a saint and that he um, he was his best friend and he loved him. But 15 years ago, he jumped or was pushed to his death down a long flight of steps next to the car barn. He comments um, that he saw it and watched him die, thinking that the man in cell 11 is Damien Karras. The door to cell 11 opens up with, dynamic, with deep demonic growls. Patient X or Damien uh, Karras, leans in, commenting that um, it is a wonderful life. He's chained up. Mm-hmm. Kinderman's sitting uh, sitting across from him, asking who uh, who he is. Uh, Damien claims that he's he's uh, he claims to be no one in many. And I, I I love this because the whole thing of Legion, right? Like like I am no one, but I am many. many. Yeah. yeah. Kinderman asks if he's Damien Karras. Uh, he Damien leaning in, uh, knowing that he doesn't know, doesn't have any medical records for him. Kinnaman asks again. He claims to be the Gemini car- killer, James Vinneman. Kinnaman uh, comments that, that the Gemini is dead. The patient rebuttals that not being tr- being right, asking if he remembers if he remembers Karen. He briefly goes over her description uh, before saying that he killed her thinking it to be inevitable a divinity a uh, divinity shaping their ends he continues that he picked he picked her up in richmond and dropped some of her off at at the city dump claiming that he must save her as as he sadistically compliments the uh, peasant dress karen was wearing and that he still hears hears from her occasionally screaming thinking that that the dead sh- uh, should shut up unless there's something to say he tells him that he also killed thomas and the priest knowing that their names begin with a k but he kills at random calling it thrilling and fun thomas and, and the priests were different he has a obl- uh, he was obliged um or excuse me he was obliged um to settle a score on behalf of a friend kinderman asks what friend damien answers a friend from the other side and one uh, one needs and one needs friends commenting that they're suffering over there and they can be cruel kinderman asks who they are uh damien comments um that he can't tell him and it is forbidden a large deep growl fills up the room from Damien causing Kinderman to close his ear. Damien catches his breath, commenting that he does that he does that very well. Him being taught by the master. Kinderman doesn't understand who that is. Damien comments that uh that it is it is uh I don't know what the hell I'll try to say there. Whatever. The only the only <laughs> one. The water from the faucet continues to drip uh, into the uh sink bowl as they continue. Uh Patient X, who I'm going to kind of 
jostle back and forth from patient X to the Gemini and to James and to Damien. They're all the same person, just to let everyone know. Patient X asks who Damien is, Kinnerman returning the question back to him. He claims that um, to know nothing about killing, wondering um, if that if they are calling the Gemini killings in the paper. Or if they are calling them Gemini killings um, in the paper, and that he must get he must get them to do that, calling it important. Kinnaman once again tells him that the Gemini is dead, focusing focusing on his now blue eyes. The Gemini screams that he's alive. His face changing to another man to James, uh, shouting or screaming that he goes on and he breathes, shouting for Kinnerman to to look at him, asking what does he see. Kinnerman doesn't notice the change or shift, answering that he sees a man that looks like Damien. The Gemini leans back, commenting that he he looked, uh, he looked with eyes of faith. He will see him. Kinnerman doesn't understand the Gemini calling him blind, leaning in to tell the priest that he, he is the Gemini, or he will punish him. Kinnerman asks... Uh, Ask what is he talking about? James asking if he dances. I fucking love this. Such a weird scene. Yeah. You well, yeah, the dance is his daughter. Because mm. his daughter is the one who dances. Right. And like, I love how Kinderman is just like, like, what do I dance? Like, nah, bro, you want you want to dance? Yeah. Like, like you want you trying to dance? You want to dance? You want to you 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 ready? Like, <laughs> I do have to say, I do love this scene a lot. Oh my god. There's some great dialogue. There's some great Brad acting Dorif and stuff like that. It's insane. It's carries really this scene. And I love that there's still randomness. Like, oh, here he goes growling. And I was like, okay, yeah. I'll take it. I'll Absolutely. Add that in there. I'm already accepted this movie for what it is, and I'm really like on board. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it, it's it is a ride. It is a ride. And and seeing him in here makes me that much more appreciative to hear his voice again in Chucky. I don't know if you've seen the Chucky series yet. I've seen one episode. Oh, okay. But like hearing his voice in that and, and just hearing this in here and just, it's great. Yeah. Like I love Brad Dorif in horror. Yeah. Hell yeah. And I hope to see his daughter in more stuff as well. Fiona. Didn't know who that is, but I'll look out. It's his daughter, Fiona Dorif. Gotcha. She's also in Chucky. She plays, oh, she plays him, like the young version of Charles in Chucky. Oh, that's dark. fucking awesome. That. Yeah. It's great. Kinnerman still doesn't understand what the tear what the tear trailing from his face. The Gemini sings an operatic song in a feminine voice. This is actually surprisingly gorgeous. Yeah, yeah I was like, this is really good. <laughs> Switching to a deeper, fluctuating voice, smiling that he uh, that he likes plays, asking if he knows the, uh, knows that he's talking to uh, to an artist, adding that he sometimes does special things to his victims, but takes knowledge and pride in, in your work. He shares an example that uh, that a decapitated head can continue to see for approximately twenty seconds. So when he when he has one, he holds it up so they can see their body. Jesus Christ. He laughs uh, that it is an, a little extra for no added charge. He admits that he uh, that makes him chuckle, commenting that life is fun, calling it a wonderful life for some. He leans mm. back, commenting that it is too bad for about Father Dyer, admitting to killing him. He calls it an interesting problem, but it finally worked, sharing that the first bit of the drug to permit one to work without distractions. Then, a three-foot catheter <laughs> read it directly into the Vena cava, for those who don't know what the vena cava is, that is your penis. <laughs> the tube Ouch. moves through the vein under the, cre- on the, under the crease of the arm into the vein that leads directly to the heart. 
Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> so, yeah, maniacal. It's like, it's very dark and very sadistic, but at the same time, well like planned. Like I said. Controlled environment for this killer to do so. Right. Hearing it is so much more visceral right. than actually seeing it. Exactly. We see the after effects and we see the description. That's right. more terrifying. 100%. Exactly. I agree. Like, I, I just find that to be so much more visceral. It would be a completely different movie if they showed a lot of the kills. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Kinnerman is becoming visibly shaken up with his explanation, but he continues. You hold, uh, you hold up the legs and you squeeze the blood manually into a tube from the arms and legs. Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's becoming more irate as he continues that it isn't perfect, commenting that there is a little blood left. But regardless, the overall effect is astonishing. He becomes more theatrical as he exclaims about the effect it brings, calming down, explaining that one comes the oh that explaining that off comes the head without spilling one single drop of blood. Calling that showmanship, knowing that no one notices, Kinderman punches the fucking living shit out of him uh, in the face, causing his nose to bleed. The Gemini looks up at him, calling out a few boos from the gallery, but he understands, admitting he's been dull, promising to liven things up for him, adding that the master is throwing him a scrap from his table, a reward to, for faithful service, something fun, something random, something his way. He says goodnight to the moon, air, and Amy. I love that. I love when he says Amy because mm-hmm. like you don't get the context until way yeah. later into yeah. this movie. And I'm just like, this movie rips, dude. <laughs> Kinderman leans in to listen as he con- as he concludes with, quote, tell her beads, end quote. Mm-hmm. He transitions back to Damien lo- uh, lookalike and, pa- and excuse me, he transitions back to Damien and passes out. Kinderman requests to uh, to leave from the room by pushing the button, and he's like frantically putting like, get me the fuck out of here. Allerton opens the door. Kinderman shares that he passed out. She comments um, that he did again. He pulls he pulls aside Atkins that the man that the man in this in that cell knows the details of a murder of a girl named Karen that happened years ago, commenting that it was a killing that never appeared in the papers. Alverson yells that his goddamn nose is broken. <laughs> his goddamn nose is broken. This is great. Damn, what's with the yelling? Yeah, I mean, yeah, she was probably intense. pissed. Like, yo, oh, what yeah, did you do like, to my guy? Patient. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. come on. Cut to the, a cut to Ginnerman being sprayed with an ointment uh, for his bruised hand by Allerton. He reminds her that she. Uh, Said, said after he told her that uh, Damien fell unconscious, she doesn't uh, remember saying again. She tells him that uh, this has happened before, but not many times. Just this week, the first time being this Sunday, and again the next day. Uh, the exact times being on her chart. She bandages his hand, commenting that he was uh, passed out earlier yesterday morning, right before they found Dyer. She apologizes for his loss. He he asks if, if it seems like a normal sleep when he passes out like this. She comments that nothing is normal about him with a slight smile, calling it unusual, and his automatic uh, system slows to a crawl, his heartbeat, temperature, and breathing. But his brain waves, active. His brainwaves, his brainwaves are actively accelerating. She, she's done bandaging his, bandaging his hand, instructing to keep an eye on it until the weekend. He asks, he asks if she has ever uh, shared, that, shared what happened to Dyer to Damien. She hasn't. He wonders if anyone else, ha- ever, uh, else would have told him. She doesn't understand why they would. He, th- he thanks her and is about to leave out of her office because she, uh, before she's ask why did he hit him he doesn't he doesn't answer she tells him uh, um, to take to take it easy on his hand muttering the expression quote save your servant end quote he looks back at her she shares that some that something 
that the patient said once, excuse me, she shares that something that the patient said uh, one time, claiming that it, it keeps running through her mind. He calls the expression odd. She mentions um, it was odd how he said it, sharing that his voice was different, that it sounded decent, nice, emotional, almost like he was desperate. Kinderman asks, uh, what else did he say? Allerton adds, he said one other thing, quote unquote, kill it. <laughs> Such a good pretext of like what's about to be like going down and stuff like that too this whole thing man yeah i like love how the, this movie connects the dots where like they give you a lot of small information at first and then it starts filling in and be like all right that's why this was said this is why this happened and it's yeah. all connected and it's like it's really well written and i was like damn okay you guys planned this out absolutely yeah it's like funny and like quirky and kind of cringy sometimes <laughs> quote unquote there's so much it's um, campy yeah, yeah. Like I, I love I, the mythology of everything. It's like absolutely. this is a crazy story. This serial killer is wild. This exorcism is wild. Yeah, and the connections of like relationship with friends and stuff like that. It, like it sets the stage for high stakes for right. this character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's great. Like it, it's great because like you can tell you can start to see the vulnerability of Kinderman because yeah. of his connection with Damien. Exactly. And he's just like, well, shit. This is my friend, and my friend's not here. Like, right. he's not mentally there. Yeah, I'll break his nose. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I love that about Kinderman, though. I love that he's not your typical trope inside of a horror film. Right. I mean, he is. He has a lot of typical tropes that you see in horror films, but he, he has this this uh, persona with him where it's just like, if if I need to get dirty, I'm going to get dirty. Yeah. Like, I'm going to fuck some shit up if I need to. And I like that about him. Yeah. Cuts to the dark cathedral. Kinderman is walking through the gothic structure, stopping when he comes across a book. He picks up the Roman ritual, flipping through the pages, stopping on the, on the page toward the end, reading it out loud. Quote, save your servant who trusts in you, my God. Let him find, find him, let him, let him find in you, Lord, a fortified tower in the face of the enemy. End quote. The camera zooms, zooms to chapter two. Right for exorcisms. Meanwhile, Father Morning is praying in the church, quote, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the defender of my life. My life. End quote. Kitterman is reading from the book, quote, And Jesus said to the man who was possessed, What what is your name? And he answered, Legion, for we are many. End quote. He ponders on many. He hears the sound of his daughter grabbing something from the fridge and kisses him goodnight. She comments on, she comments on the time uh, before going back to bed. Once she's gone, he opens up the file of the Gemini killer. James Veneman's mugshot staring back at him. Cuts at the hospital, a cop walking down the hall and another leaving Keating. Mm. Um, she's, a, and this is where this shit fucking, the, one of the best sequences, sequences in horror history. Yeah, I One agree. of the best. Like just Jesus long takes Christ. and stuff like that, and the, the way it's like shot and the way it's like, I don't know, it's everything. well framed. Every yeah. the, everything about this this whole scene, like when she locks the door and it immediately unlocks, and and, and we just get straight into it. Like right. everything about this scene is gold. Yeah, it really gold. builds up tension. It relieves it for a little bit, and then brings back tension again. Yes, like, damn, that's really cool. Absolutely. She's alone and hears a rattling noise coming from her room. She looks down the hall for for the officer, but they are too far too far. So she decides to take a look for herself, going to a door that is cracked open. A loud creaking noise causing for her to flinch back. Gathering her courage, she cautiously opens the door and heads inside the room. Looking around, the curtains move. She hears the sound again, noticing that it's just ice crackling in a cup. 
A patient jumps up from her from their bed, startling the shit out of her. He's ups- and yeah, Amy. Like, <laughs> He's relax. upset about her being being in there and waking him up. He asks for uh, for her name so she <laughs> so he uh, can report her in the morning. She apologizes and shares her name as Amy Keaton. Mm. And we we Keaton with a what? Okay. <laughs> Leaving out of the room and shutting the door, she takes a deep breath before heading back to her desk. The patient calling Angels of Mercy horseshit. She uh, she uh, hears footsteps running away. She goes back to the desk, rattling things around at her desk. The officer asks if she's all right. She claims that she's fine, just a little jumpy. He he takes a seat across from her. She hears a grinding noise coming from room four one one. Keaton decides to go inside the room. The officer being called out of the hallway before another uh, officer. She goes. She goes into the room and immediately comes comes out or comes back out, closing the closing and locking the door behind her. It immediately opens back up. Someone dressed in a sheep or a tarp, with shears, walking behind her. A loud rumbling scream as we cut to the, to the Jesus statue. Missing his head. Hmm. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. When great. she closes that fucking door and that camera zooms in perfectly to it being open again, and this person walks out. And you know the beauty behind this whole scene yeah. is the fact that it's 411. That is the room that Dyer dies in. Right. Last time we see Dyer, he's in a sheet just like that. Yeah. And I, it's like that, perfect. It's perfect. It's a great scene. It is perfect. And she locks the fucking door. That's what's beautiful about this scene. And as soon as she walks away, it immediately opens. It's no stroke. And he's close. Yeah. Like they are, they are really it close behind like, That person them. was right behind that door while you were locking it. Like, how did you not see that? And that's cool. Great reveal. This is fantastic. And I love the, the camera movement. Oh, my Having gosh. it being zoomed up, too. It, it's Because the camera stays there. Really emphasizes Stationary this. for a long time for those long shots. And they're like, reveal. Yes. Boom. It, honestly, you have no time to react. You're it is like, Whoa. one of the best shots in cinematic yeah. history. Cinematic history. I think this might be the only scene I kind of knew about. Because I think this is like a major gif. And that's oh, people sure. use it. Yeah. Um, you know, pop culture, it happens. It's like, yeah, it this happens. is a memorable scene. I get it. But I was like, oh, I've seen this before. Right. And now I know it's from this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's a great Crazy. gif. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Later that evening, they're wheeling Keaton's body on a stretcher. Kinnerman goes up to uh, Sedman. He shares that she was slit down the middle, cut open, and her vital organs were removed. The killer stuffing her body with, an, with other materials and sewed her back up. Kinnerman questions what other materials. Sedman comments, rosaries. Allerton shouts for Kinnerman down the hall. She, and she's like, Kinnerman! <laughs> she, co- she goes out of the green glowing room staring at him Kinderman opens the door to Temple dead in his chair from a drug overdose a syringe and vial on his desk Kinderman is back in room 11 James um, asking if he if he got his message he comments that he left it he left it with Keaton mocking her calling her calling her a nice girl with a good heart and I love how he like says that in a in a tone where it's just like she has a physical good heart. Right. <laughs> um, the machine turns on, printing out something. Kinderman goes goes over to take a look. James brings up how he's inside of Damien, remembering of himself being being dead in the electric chair. 
He yells that he didn't like it, calling it upsetting, and, and there was still so much killing to do. But he was in a void without a body. But then came along the cruel ones, the others, the master. Mm. He thought the work should be should continue, but in his, in this body in particular, calling it revenge, bringing up the exorcism that Damien performed on Reagan, adding that some parties were expelled from, from her body and weren't pleased. So the master devised this scheme at getting back, creating a scandal, a horror to all men who seek faith. Using the body of the priest as the main instrument of his work, he gets up from the bed screaming that saying the main thing is the torment of Father Karras, watching him rip, cut, and mutilate the innocent. His friends again and again and on and on. He screams that he's inside of all of them and he will never get away with his pain. Won't end. He realizes that he was yelling, asking for forgiveness for, from Kinderman, and then he continues, claiming that the master was kind, bringing him to Damien, but while, while he was about to pass on, but he, uh, he was about to slip out of his body, the master was slipping him in. There was some confusion when the medics said that Damien was dead, but he technically was. His time being up and he wanted out, but James was in, adding that this that his body was traumatized and his brain was jelly due to the lack of oxygen, taking a maximum effort to get him out of the cheap little coffin. He calls it comical with Brother Fane, saw him crawling from the co- from the coffin. It's fucking great, damn, dude. So yeah, another great scene game. right after a fantastic scene. I was like, damn, this movie rips and this movie slaps hard. This acting is phenomenal. Even you, like, rereading back what happens in the scene, I was like, damn, this is some good shit. Yeah. Right? Like, listeners, I hope you love this. But even, like, you reading it, Prince, I was like, yeah. It's like, I love this scene. And then, of course, the acting is, like, phenomenal. And you're just, like, it's insane. Engrossed by it. And you're like, damn, this is, like, a great movie with, like, some weird elements. Sure. Yeah. That's what makes it so lovable. And the beauty behind it, too, is that Brad Dourif is crying within this scene. Like it's and great. I like I didn't the put mannerisms, emphasis on that. The, the emotional impact, everything, dude, gets like, delivered perfectly. And and like, what? And, and and he's not like sobbing or it's intangible or anything on this scene. Um, for him crying, it's just like tears are falling from his face, and he right. is talking so calmly and so passionately. Passionately, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. Like it's it's absolutely incredible. He's enthralled by his own story in the right. way. Right. Yeah. James bursts into laughter, immediately stopping his laughter, commenting that it is the smiles that keep them going. But after that, it was all Blue Mondays for a while, there being so much damage to Damien's brain cells. He tells Kinderman that it it isn't enough to be a spirit, there being no magic. You cannot touch without a body. But Damien's brain had nothing there, calling it quite an effort to reconstruct his brain cells, taking him 15 years to do so. He calls himself a traveling man, mentioning that he has a dream of a rose falling down a long flight of stairs. Something we heard earlier in this film. Kinderman stands up, sharing that he doesn't believe that he's the Gemini killer. James tells him that he's issuing a clear invitation to the dance. Kinderman doesn't understand. James tells him, never mind. He tells him to to not blame him for Temple, concluding that he he was a suicide and he was a lunatic weakling. But still, he helped He helped him, asking if there was services that he would like to attend. Kinderman questions the, uh, questions the help from Temple. James commenting that he brought, he brought Kinderman to him, telling Temple that he failed to convince Kinderman he would suffer in horrific ways, calling him a fool that believed him, but he couldn't tell, take the pressure. He had, other, he had some other tasks for him. 
Kinderman wondering if Temple got him out of the cell. James smiles as Kinderman asks who gets him out. James simply replies, quote unquote, just friends, old friends, end quote. He warns him to, and I love how he's literally giving everything away to him. Like right. he told him the truth. And the, the reason why he's talking this way is mainly because of the fact that it's kind of how we would just talk. Like, oh, this is an old friend of mine, a friend that I've known of 15 years, not literal geriatric friends. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's nuts. He warns him to tell the press that he's the Gemini, adding that he can help. Kinderman doesn't understand, James commenting his unbelief. He leans back, mentioning that he's tired before passing out. He hears his friend Damien asking for his help. Kinderman goes up to him, calling out to Damien, James coming back up screaming no, smiling as he says the name Little Jack Corner. Hmm. With a K. Got to a little boy in a wheelchair and Kinderman trying to phone for Father Morning. The nurse says that she can't read the name. Another nurse looking in, um, looking at it saying corner and spells it out. Kinderman hangs up the phone. The little boy wheeled down the hall. He has a, he has a seat thinking about his question of how James gets, gets out of his cell and his answers of quote unquote old friends. He remembers what James said about him being a traveling man, and he's the one who moves. Kinderman goes back to where, where the old patients are. He walks around the room, peeping the patients. A door opens up. An old woman stares at him from the darkness. And conti he continues moving around the room. Celia fucking crawling on the ceiling, stopping <laughs> overhead Kinderman, smiling as she looks down at him. He doesn't notice and is heading for the door as Celia moves down down the hall the old woman dressed as a nun and goes down the hall as well kinderman notices blood underneath the door opening it up to a dead nurse naked the old woman walks down the hall in the in her nurse get up she goes inside corner's room so we think opening a medical bag kinderman bursts through the through the door with atkins turning on the lights allerton is actually inside yelling at them for barging in um like that yelling if he if he threats his own family like that, and she's like, like, or treats his own family like that, she's like throwing all these, like, motherfucker, like, you should have yeah. done this. Blah, 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 blah. Like, so angry. Again, all these people are so angry. <laughs> they are angry. Um, wanting for him to leave. And she's like, you need to leave. <laughs> he remembers the one James. One thing. It's like, what? why was she working in the dark? <laughs> I don't know. It's another thing. It's like, okay, sure. Maybe, she, maybe, like, I think. I mean, obviously, I think, I think she was possessed for a little bit as a distraction to get him involved. I don't think with something. so, actually, because I think I think that boy was actually supposed to be asleep because he gets woken up. Yeah, okay, that's yeah, that's fair. And I think she, I think she was gonna drop off like a present or something to him because he was he's a boy in intensive care. Then what does he notice on the name tag? On her name tag because he looks at it and we get a close up of it. Oh, and he's I, like. Oh, I don't think he notices her name tag. I think he realizes that when when he looks down Julie Allerton, blah, blah, blah. I think what he realizes is that like he thinks back to what he said about dance. And he's like, oh, uh, shit, my daughter. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. I think he finally put two and two together like my daughter. He's going for my daughter, my daughter, not this kid. This kid was a decoy pretty much. Mm. He remembers what James said about issuing a, 
about issuing a clear invitation to the dance. He yeah. he now knows that he's talking about his daughter Julie. He calls his wife Mary, and his daughter is still at home. Um, his daughter's still at home with her and her grandmother. Quick cut to Kinderman calling a busy line. <laughs> Mary's still talking in a chipper tone before hanging up. She shares that the nurse is coming over with a pack. That a nurse is coming over with a package. The old woman is in the backseat of a of a taxi. Kinderman rushes to uh, to a cop car, telling his officer to move it and uh and get to his house quickly. They speed down the streets. The taxi looking like looking. Looking like it has made it to the house three times already. Like, how many times are you going to make it to this fucking house? Like, it looks in the same... It's like driving in the same, same neighborhood over, and over, again, over yeah. and over and over again. The woman touches her bag in a caressing sort of way before making it uh, making it to Kinderman's house. She rings the doorbell. Allerton is inside the, inside the room with Damien, checking his brain waves as he sleeps. The pattern's off the charts. Kinderman makes it to his house. He instructs the officer to go around the back. He goes to the front of his house and the door knob turning he he waits julie opens the door telling her telling her mom uh that dad is home mary uh, comes to the door asking what's going on he uh he calls himself crazy mary um asking what's going on with with the nurse he doesn't understand julie answers the ringing phone he notices the woman sitting at the piano staring at him he calls for his daughter she yells that she's talking on the phone (laughs) fucking teenagers dude like, like, can't you see I'm talking on the phone? Dude, <laughs> like, you treat your family like this? Everyone's just like on one. I'm like, relax. Jesus. I love this, though, because this is where this shit gets bonkers. Yeah, that's, that's cool scene, too. Mary asks, uh, what kind of nurse is, um, is this? Because she answers the, uh, the door. She faints. And when she wakes up, she, uh, asks when is bedtime. The woman pleads for him to help him, asking for, uh, asking if it's bedtime. Yo, the grandma, though? Mm-hmm. She's funny as shit, dude. Yeah, she is. Like she says Yoink. some shit like to her <laughs> as well. But yeah, this this is great. The officer um the officer Danny comes through the back door, Kinnerman telling him um it is all right. The woman grabs for her shears. James speaks through the uh through the woman saying um catatonics being easy to possess. Waiting for Kinnerman so, uh so he could see this. She takes the shears to Julie's neck. Shirley, that thing that's her grandma, yeah. um grabbing her by the hair. And it's so, <laughs> it's so funny, so funny how she just like grabs her by the hair. She's like like oh. <laughs> uh, he runs uh, he runs up to the woman she hits him uh and Danny Danny back with force grabbing his neck choking him but she stops screaming morning's name as she drops slowly to the floor a bit dramatic but let's fucking go cuts a morning uh walking walking into the halls of the disturbed ward and he's like fucking Badass. He's yeah. like he's like motherfucker I'm this, here it looked like an entrance of like an MCU movie hero yeah <laughs> like coming is like yeah, so he's just well centered. He's like coming in like a badass too. He's like, all right, let's awesome. do this. Let's yeah. fucking go. You know what I'm it's saying? Cool. Like this this moment, he seems like a hero. Reminds me of that one song by J Cole, Neighbors. Neighbors, yeah. It okay. just reminds me of, of like that chorus. He's like, the neighbors think I'm selling dope, and then like <laughs> Father Morton comes in. He's like, motherfucker, I am. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like it's just it's such a let's go moment. Motherfuckers think I'm doing exorcism. <laughs> Motherfucker, I am. Motherfucker, I am. I am. (laughs) Like it's it's such a let's go moment that I I, like. I feel it. You know what I'm saying? Like Like, it's so great. The demonic eyes of Damien peering out. The hall becoming darker as morning gathers the godly strength to head into uh, room eleven. 
He's like, the power of Christ is in me. The door opening it on its own, the master, the master commenting that it is him again, interrupting, questioning, questioning if he's come to save God's servant. And, he's, and he must save his son, the Gemini, adding that he has much more work to do. He invites him inside. Um, and I love what he says here. He was like, come in, Father Morning. Come enter night. Yeah, it's such a good play on words. Oh like, okay. my god, yeah, dude! Like I got chills right now. Walks in the like, door shut, and you can, the great sound mixing there too. It's like you can hear like how it's great cold metal it is for the door to just shut and then like and close then that off thing and just like, like slides and you're shut. stuck in it now. The room cold as the master gazes at morning, telling him that that uh, his, this time he's going to lose. Morning comes in, sitting across from him, the door slamming them both in. Morning speaks his prayers as she as. As he throws holy water on him, the master rises and screams as morning begins speaking the words, quote, save your servant who trusts you, my my God. Let him find you, Lord, a fortified tower in the face of the enemy, end quote. The room is filled with snakes surrounded by by fire. Morning starts speaking the Our, the Our Father prayer. The master speaks about them both praying, commenting about his serpents creeping up morning's spine. Morning casts him out, the room back to somewhat normal. The master laughs, but stops when morning continues. The master pierces his eyes onto him, causing the, his Bible to explode and fly across the room. I do want to mention really quick, I do love the aspect of the cold yeah. um, and how that's a beautiful callback to Reagan when um, Damien Karras was in her room meeting her for that, uh, not, the, not the first time, but when he was pretty much kind of meeting her for the first time. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, like, I love that aspect of how she's like sitting in the bed and she's staring at him and it's fucking cold. And it's, this, it's the same scene. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. He's sitting on his bed staring at him. That's it's true. cold. It's a great like, callback. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. His rope rips off. Then morning is thrown to the ceiling. He commands the master out of Damien, ripping his skin off the ceiling. This, this is an intense how scene. brutal this is. And we get the close up with the eyes, and the eyes look the same like in the first Exorcist. It's really absolutely amazing. Graphic, absolutely amazing. Oof. It is. It's. It's so insane on how good that looks. Yeah, like Jesus Christ. Kinderman comes into the disturbed board, um, uh, feeling something off. He calls for Allerton before moving toward room eleven. Um, he calls for Allerton, but the door to room eleven opens up. The master, with his head down, Kinderman notices the Bible on the, the Bible on the floor. He picks it up. The page is singed and burnt away. He notices the blood of morning on the ceiling. Then the body falls over. Ma- the master tells him not to worry about Julie and, the, and that they'll get they'll get her. Kinderman gets up, pulling out his gun. He called. He tells Damien to pray for him, commenting that he's free as he points the gun at him. The master telepathically throws him to the wall, knowing that knowing that he hope to save Damien. Kinderman calls out uh, to God for help. The master asking if he helped his, his, if he helped his unbelief. Kinderman uh, nods his head that he believes in death, disease, injustice, inhumanity, torture, anger, hate, murder, pain, cruelty, infidelity, slime, stink, and a whole bunch of shit. Ending that he believes in him. The room fills with rain and lightning striking the ground. The floor opening up from the pounding of the ground. A group of people bring up Thomas's crucified body. His face sporting a Jim Crow era blackface. It's switching to Damien calling for, calling for him. The back to the room, Kinderman screams, quote unquote, why God? The master telling him to save his prayers for God is not here with them now. 
They're only being they're they're only being darkness there in his death. The hand of mourning twitches, the spotlight moving from his hand to a crucifix. Kinderman slams to the ceiling. Mourning weakly speaks the quote save your servant, end quote, prayer again. While reaching for the crucifix, he tells Damien to fight him. The master looks up at the ceiling, telling Kinderman goodbye. Morning screaming for Damien to fight him. The master tells him that he cannot win, and he dies. Kinderman drops down from the ceiling, Damien yelling for him to shoot him and kill him now. Without fucking hesitation, he shoots the fucking living shit out of him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and in his dying breath, he whispers that, he, that they won and to free him. He takes the gun, aims it at his head, and fires it. Cut to all the priests looking out into the graveyard, Kinderman and Atkins standing over the grave of Damien. Then, credits. Damn. What, what a, a wild sequence. movie, dude. What a movie, yeah, yeah. This movie What rules. a way to end it, too. Yeah! That's a great face-off scene. Fuck yeah. So good. And brutal. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. Damn. I love this movie, though. Me too. I think the more... I like think about it the more I actually really enjoy it and really appreciate for what it is. And I'm happy a lot of people do enjoy this movie. I can see where some people wouldn't like it because there is a lot of stuff where it's like, okay, it takes me out of the element. Right. <laughs> Just so what did you say the Rotten Tomatoes was like 60%? 59. 59. Okay. So, and it's funny because I, I was looking it up on IMDb. It's like, did this guy get nominated for any awards? Because he should have. Brad? And with Brad, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff where it's like, all right, the Saturn Award nominees and stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot, but there's also I nominees mean, for... Saturn always takes care of us, though. Yeah, as the, the horror, horror community, community and stuff like, like that. You know, Saturn loves us. Which they had him as best supporting actor, best horror film, best writing. Uh, there's quite a lot of stuff. But it also got nominated for some Razzies. And I'm like, I can kind of see that as well. But the I'm on the better is half. The, is the stupidest fucking yeah, award I hate ceremony it. ever. And I, I really hope cause... that it dies. <laughs> like it, it's so I think stupid. we share the hatred of it. It's like, all right, it, let's celebrate dumb. movies rather than tear down movies and stuff yeah, like that. The, the There's a lot to love about this movie. Yeah, there is. Yeah. So. Anyway, I got some motherfucking movie facts for us here. Movie facts. <gasps> William Peter Blatty uh, made the film based on his novel Legion. Which was published in 1983. Morgan Creek decided to call it The Exorcist 3 Legion, even though the screenplay of the and novel featured no exorcisms whatsoever. After principal photography was completed, the misleading nature of the title was noticed, and the producers determined um, it, it a more recognizable sequel of The Exorcist. <laughs> um, the la- the la- which is why I yeah. added here. I, I'm sure everyone has probably gotten now the point of this month that. Attack of the sequels are all direct sequels, damn near, yeah. or or just not truly tie-ins. The last third of the movie had to be the entirely redone, entirely redone, with the insertion of a new character, Father Morning, in an exorcism scene um, that cost nearly four million dollars. God damn, it's a lot. The Gemini Killer character was inspired by the real life serial killer, the Zodiac. Uh, that's yeah, scary. To that is scary. About. That is definitely scary. William Peter um, Blatty wanted the film to be entitled simply Legion, just like his novel on the the same name. The producers, however, wanted the title to be The Exorcist 3 for commercial reasons. Blatty even tried to convince them to alter it to Exorcist 1990 in order to distance distance it from Exorcist 2, the the heretic, as much as possible, which he absolutely despises, but had to settle for The Exorcist 3 notwithstanding. Hmm. I mean, he has every reason to despise that movie. That movie is not good. Um, 
Let's let's get a let's get a decent one. Oh, this is a decent one. On the climactic exorcism scene, William Peter Blatty later said, "Quote: It's all right, but it's utterly unnecessary, and it changes the character of the piece." End quote. Although at the time, Blatty told the press that he was happy to reshoot the film's ending and have the story climax with a frenzy of special effects. The truth is that his compromise was forced on forced on him against his wishes. Quote: The original story that I sold Morgan Creek and that I shot ended ended with kinderman blowing blowing away patient x there was no exorcism at all but it, it was a mexican standoff between me and the studio i was entitled uh, to one preview then they could go then they could go and do what they wanted with the picture they gave me a preview but it was the lowest end preview audience i i have ever seen in my life they dragged in zombies from haiti to watch this film damn Fuck you! Uh, it was uh, it was unbelievable, but I decided better I should uh, I should do it than anyone else. I foolishly thought I could do a good exorcism. I'll turn the pig's ear into a, a silk purse. So 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 I did it. Huh? Fair enough. Fair enough. William Peter Blad- Blatty offered directorial responsibilities to John Carpenter, who liked his script but backed out when it ca- became clear that Blatty really wanted to uh, to direct the movie himself. That's awesome. Yeah. And I like that, like, Carpenter was like, no, nah, dude, you should do it. Yeah. He's like, you know, like, like, yeah, you yeah. should do it. But you know, you know what would have been fucking crazy? This would have been a part of the Apocalypse trilogy if Carpenter would have directed it. That's true, too. <laughs> very heavy on that, like, type of, like, scenes and topics. I think Blatty did a fantastic job. I think he did a really, really good job on this movie. Um, let's get a, you know, let's get a, a spoiler, spoilerly, literally, literally, literally one. Oh, is this uh, exorcism shit right now? Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking in tongues. All right. Let's just go over all the cameos. Fabio as an angel in the dream sequence. Samuel Jackson as a blind man in the dream sequence. His voice is dubbed for, for his one line. Patrick Ewing. Yeah, I saw that fun fact. As the angel like, oh. of death next to Father Dyer in the dream sequence. Interesting. See, um, Irvin. See Everett Coop as himself in the tombs, a local Georgetown restaurant where Kinderman um, has uh, lunch with Father Dyer. Larry King as himself in the tombs, a local Georgetown restaurant uh, where Kinderman has lunch with Father Dyer. Fuck yeah. yeah. Ooh, the director's cut released in 2016 does not con- contain Nicole Williamson as Father Morning or Jason Miller as, ca- as Karis. Only Miller's voice, Whispering Bill, can be heard as Kinderman first walks through the disturbed ward with Dr. Temple. Miller's face in a picture um, on, the, on the wall in the tombs restaurant is also replaced with Brad Doris. Interesting. Oh, shit. Gotta get my hands on that. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, this, this movie's a blast. Yes. Let us know what you think of The Exorcist 3. Definitely want to keep this conversation going over at nightlight underscore pod or over our Discord server where you can join that Discord server in our actual show notes. So let us know. We want to keep this conversation going. We want to have a full-blown conversation if you want to. I'm down. Let's definitely do it. But... We are going to be concluding this month mm. with an absolute banger. We're concluding this month with Wes, Wes Craven's new nightmare. Hell yeah. I I'm so excited. Wait, what a way to end the month. I cannot wait for that. Holy shit. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Nights. Alongside me, we have Freddy. Always coming to spoopy. Always. 
also known as Nighty Night. Our efforts to get the shot is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is, is very helpful, either on Spotify or Apple or both. <laughs> um... It's very helpful. We would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. Okay. I pledge you on Patreon. You have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday Whistle post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.